fear and ambition together is incredibly powerful. I didn't know where it was going to go. I just knew that women needed this. And if women need this, it was just a matter of figuring out how to get it to them. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it, from the good stuff like hiring and growing a team to the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the skim from a couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? Hey everyone, this show might sound a bit different today because we're skimming from three different couches. The skim is working from home for the time being because of COVID-19. Today, we have Ariane Goldman joining us on Skim from the Couch. She is the founder and CEO of Hatch, a brand creating style solutions for pregnant women, and is changing the conversation about maternity. She's also the founder of Two Birds, a company that makes wearable and inclusive bridesmaid dresses that can be worn long after a wedding. Ariane, we are so excited to have you with us. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So we're going to start how we like to start all interviews, skim your resume for us. Sure. So after college, I went to undergraduate business school at University of Michigan and got an internship and then a job at American Express uh, in New York City. Climbed myself up the corporate ladder for about nine years before realizing that it wasn't necessarily the right move for the rest of my life. And then really fortunately, I was engaged at the time and um, started my first business, realizing that there was a white space in the bridesmaids dress market where I wanted to create a dress that women could wear again after the wedding. And that was my first baby. And then after that, I got pregnant a few years later and realized that nobody was speaking to pregnant girls who were looking for someone to really understand what they were going through. And that's when Hatch was born. Since then, I've been managing both companies. What is something that your team would be surprised to learn about you? I'm an avid puzzler. So before we get into your story, it's obviously hard to do these remote interviews and not talk about the time we're all living through right now with COVID-19. It is so difficult to be a business leader at this time, but it's also terrifying when you think about what expectant mothers are thinking about and everything that's on their minds right now. How are you helping both lead your team and also your customer through this? Just to step back, this is such a strange, unique moment, not only as a citizen and a human being, but as a mother and then a CEO and a founder. So I've been going through many emotions and ebbs and flows personally, and at the same time trying to prioritize what needs to happen first to make sure that the lights stay on, because we had to make unfortunate furloughs and layoffs and pay cuts to really just make sure that we could get through the survival mode, this moment of just getting through to the other side. And that took the first three to four weeks of just navigating professional how we were going to see Hatch and Two Birds through the storm. And now that things are starting to feel a little bit more normal, we're able to turn to our community, which we've been so focused on for the last couple of years. And yesterday we launched an amazing resource page because just the terror that these women are feeling right now, the unknowns, the questions that just aren't answered yet about being pregnant during this time, we're hearing them loud and clear. So I'm so proud that Hatch now is kind of a foundation and a resource for all questions, not all questions, but a lot of questions and resources that are out there for pregnant women. It's such a scary time and anything we can do outside of just selling them beautiful product and things that make you feel better. What else can we do? We can hold your hand and let you know that there are people listening and that we've got your back. 
So we actually asked our audience what they wanted to ask you. Something our community wants to know is how are you balancing productivity while working from home while maintaining sanity? We're working on maintaining sanity. You know, I got some great advice the other day that when thinking about your employees and their productivity working from home, they're not working from home in a normal situation. We're working from home in a crisis. Right. So it's just a totally different playing field and our expectations are totally different. And so this time around, we're leading with empathy and making sure that our employees are feeling safe and okay. Our team got hit pretty hard. Several of my team has recovered from COVID. So we have been doing morning Zoom calls and, and, you know, it's been very apparent over the last few weeks that some of us are sick and not feeling great. And that's been emotional and pretty tough for the team to get through. So uniting and making sure that the team knows that we're there for them and leading with human first has been a a real win for us. I'm really grateful this morning. um, I surprised the team with a day off tomorrow and everybody was very, very appreciative. And I think it went a really long way just so that they know that we support being sane and breathing and kind of trying to find some normal right now. We want to go back to how you started your career. You started on Wall Street and American Express. And you worked your way up there, but obviously you spent a lot of time in corporate America. And, you know, Danielle and I both come from a big corporate company. And I'm curious, what do you think you learned most from being in a large organization? And what would you tell those who are listening who might still be employed at large organizations what to soak out of that experience? First and foremost, I think my appreciation for American Express and the corporate world has only grown as I've gotten further and further away from it. I think the idea that they celebrate, especially Amex, celebrates the fact that you can move around to different jobs um, during your career path. They really urge you to get different tastes and flavors of your career as you're moving up. And I really appreciate that because when you're running a small business, you know, there, there's, there's no pinch hitters. Like nobody's replacing you. There's no one, if you go out on maternity leave, like that job is kind of vacant for that time. So I really appreciated the fact that they wanted diversity in in your experience. I also really appreciated the benefits and the fact of working together and just the the structure and organization that takes years to build in a small business because you just don't necessarily have those people in that pecking order to kind of guide you. And so I was able to take a lot of kind of the feedback forms, just the way that year ends were handled and bring them to both my companies and make it feel a little bit more official. And I would have never have known how to do that had I not had that experience. I think a lot of people obviously would have been happy to climb the corporate ladder, especially at a place like Amex. What is it about your upbringing or the people around you you had or even your education that you think made you want to take the leap into doing something different? You know, Amex is a beautiful organization. It was almost like golden handcuffs, especially as you're entering your 30s and potential motherhood. I mean, they treat women so fantastically, maternity care, the whole bit. I have a certain thirst for life and I've always, I was born ambitious. After spending eight years growing, you know, growing on this journey, I wanted more and I needed to kind of use my hands to make something happen. I'm a daughter of two entrepreneurs. My parents worked together my whole life. So we would be at the Javits Center and I'd be kind of working those booths with them. And I just, you know, I would know where their factories were in India and in New York. And I I just kind of knew the language and the recipes there. And I just got a little claustrophobic in the corporate safety. And you live once and I wanted to take risks and I was searching 
looking for a way to express my creative, my creativity. And I, it wasn't necessarily something I was able to do at MX. Um, so I went to Parsons at night to try and kind of cultivate something. And I thought interior design might be that. And then I fell in love with a creative filmmaker um, who didn't understand any of the acronyms that I was talking about, American Express. <laughs> and he urged me to kind of really chase my creative dreams. And some of us are born with talents and, and, and arts, and some of us have to find it. So I was searching for mine, having a business school education and also kind of being savvy in the fashion front when I was getting married and realizing that nobody was kind of fitting that void of why do you have to hate your best friend for buying a bridesmaid's dress when like this should be a celebratory, you should look great. You want to feel hot and sexy and awesome at your friend's wedding. Why do you have to suffer and spend money to do so? So that, that kind of light bulb went off. That's where I really knew that there was something there. And uh, that's what kind of urged me to take the chance and jump ship. So let's talk about that moment. You went into what the idea was for Two Birds, but you were experiencing a lot of changes kind of all at once, getting married, thinking about potentially leaving Amex. What was going through your mind? I was searching for something to hold on to, to grasp onto, something that gave me the momentum to kind of say it's okay to take this chance, this risk. My parents wanted me to stay safe. I remember talking to my mother-in-law. She said, absolutely, do not quit your day job, Ariane. Like, you'd be nuts. And yet it wasn't good enough for me because I couldn't imagine the next 10 years of my life climbing this ladder, you know, higher and higher. So for me, I was using the transition as a time to ask the questions and kind of get comfortable with the change because my life was changing. So why not throw something else into the mix? Because if we're going to start afresh, let's really start afresh. But I wasn't that bold. What I did was um, I was fortunate enough to sign on with Amex as a consultant, which allowed me to get incoming you know, dollars and a paycheck while I was able to kind of build two birds and go to the factories and do some of that stuff. So I was able to kind of work both where it wasn't black or white all or nothing. I want to understand kind of your approach to side hustles, especially right now in a time where a lot of people need to be creative about thinking how to turn their side hustles into their main hustle. Talk to us just a little bit about how you treated your first company as a side hustle. I think anything that inspires you on the side, like me starting a business or creating something that wasn't there, if that passion is inside you and you can feed it daily, somehow, one way, you know, designing your logo, putting it on a business card, sending it to Moo, anything that's kind of low lift to get that snowball rolling. I mean, that's when it's building and you're not necessarily doing a 180 and shifting everything. But if you can build something that has value enough to make that change um, safer for you, my advice would be to do something every day that just kind of drives that forward. Because before you know it, you're going to build something really beautiful or you're going to ask your questions and find out the hard way that maybe it's not, it's not viable, but at least you're doing it on the side where you're not, you don't have everything on the table. So let's talk about the other white space that you discovered, which is when you were pregnant. Talk to us about what this journey was and what you came upon. It's so crazy. It was just really an idea. I was wearing vintage moo's and dresses and, you know, I've always loved my mom's kind of South of France fashion and just I was always looking for ways to just feel beautiful. And when you walk down the street and you feel beautiful, regardless of what you look like, but it's that feeling inside, people notice. And when I was pregnant, I felt amazing. Regardless of nausea, I felt powerful. I was growing something inside with a man that I loved. Like I was just, it was just an amazing moment, but there was nothing out there that allowed me to 
celebrate that moment. And there was nowhere I could go. I was so excited to enter this new category and figure out what was out there so I can have that conversation with, you know, that community. And I just couldn't find it. And so I would get stopped on the streets for my style. And it just dawned on me, wow, if no one's talking to this community, someone has to. And I think because of the success of Two Birds and the fact that I was able to take that concept across the world, ultimately, I had the confidence to start Hatch which at the time I thought would be a layup and a completely different business model, a completely different set of challenges. But here I am eight years later and it's just incredible. Why do you think that there was that white space in maternity wear, which is when you think about it, it's such a big category. So a lot of people, including investors, are daunted by the fact that it's a finite period of time, right? So women would be spending on themselves for, let's say, seven to 10 months during this time. And what does that look like from a lifetime value of a customer? That's on kind of that front. But on the fashion front at the time, social media wasn't celebrating, selfies hadn't necessarily kind of come to their their fullest. And Vogue and WWD, a lot of people wouldn't write about the category because it was almost poo-poo for women to celebrate a growing and changing body. Fortunately, that has changed so much. I think women's self-confidence and the perception, especially with Instagram and and these editors over the years kind of turning the phone on them and wanting to look good and feel good. Women now recognize that rocking the bump is something that's amazing. And I'm so grateful that, you know, I and Hatch went against the curve. I had no choice but to keep going, even though a lot of these press outlets wouldn't cover us because I, I saw the need of a community, but it was just a harder lift because I couldn't get the coverage that I needed to kind of break through. And then as the first few years passed, we finally saw the light and people were turning around and saying, huh, pregnant women are actually powerful and beautiful. And Hatch was there when they were ready for us, which has been amazing. So in listening to you, it's very obvious, like we both were smiling when you were talking about growing up ambitious and kind of the natural hustle that you very clearly had. And I think like an authentic sense of confidence. I want to understand what your mindset was in the early days of Hatch. Did you know that it was going to take off and it was going to take time? Did you have self-doubt around it? I'm curious just kind of where you were from a headspace standpoint. I went at it with nothing to lose. So I lent myself a few hundred thousand dollars from Two Birds to build the website and to get samples. But I didn't know what I didn't know, which was the blessing, because if you understand what a big beast it is to build a business, I wouldn't have gotten started. So the way I approached things was just to kind of build from ground up. I didn't have kind of an end goal because I don't know, I didn't know how to grow at the time, a million dollar company, a $2 million company. I was just trying to get product in front of women who wanted it. And so that's just day by day ground up. And that's been my approach to growing Hatch from the get-go. I'm not necessarily trying to work backwards from this end goal. I'm trying to build a brand that means something to women where they can look, when you hear the word Hatch, you smile because in someone's life, we made a difference, whether it's beauty or community or fashion. We mean something to people. That to me is what it's like to build a brand. So when you start that, you know, every day is a different uh, challenge, experience, failure. But because you're building from ground up, I was building kind of support underneath me. Every time I would fall, I wouldn't fall too hard because there was nowhere to fall, right? You know, I was just going day by day and fear and ambition together is incredibly powerful. I didn't know where I was gonna go. I just knew that women needed this. And if women need this, it was just a matter of figuring out how to get it to them. And at the time, D2C was happening and Warby and all these online companies 
companies were starting to blossom. And unlike Two Birds, which was much more of an appointment-based brand, more kind of manual, so to speak, Hatch had to be in the digital landscape. And that was unfolding. Um, it was early times for digital. So paid strategy, how to acquire a customer, that wasn't really in play. I didn't have like, oh my God, where am I going to get the money to acquire new customers? For me, it was how am I going to get people to tell people that there's a solution out there for them? And how can I leverage old school PR to get the word out there? So it was very grassroots. And I didn't raise money for the first six years. Who are you talking this through with? I have some other friends who are entrepreneurs, fortunately, both tech friends, creative friends. You know, building a business in any spectrum is 360, right? So when I think about who helps me, it's who's smarter than me in this specific question that I have. And fortunately, I've surrounded myself with amazing friends who, depending on what they do, can help me and just kind of help me along the way. At the time, Serena from Serena and Lily was a fantastic female mentor who was definitely a couple years ahead of me. So early on, I would call her often just to get some advice on on whether or not I was doing things the right way. You started a company when you had a newborn, which is very on brand. So in that way, you know, great timing. And another way could be doubly exhausting. What was that time like? I have to tell you, the adrenaline I had in me when Charlie, my first daughter, came out, when I looked at her, it was like a starting line. She came with me. I was working. I didn't have really an office for the first eight, nine months. So I was working from home, but, you know, newborns sleep most of the time. But I was so inspired and ambitious and excited that it wasn't really like an either or. It was just like, okay, let's do this. I'll breastfeed. I'll do a line plan. I'll go to the factory. Fortunately, I had some help. So I have to say that that was incredibly beneficial to allowing me the time and the freedom to pursue this. But I it was adrenaline. Having Charlie was my impetus to, to making sure that this happened. Let's talk about that uh, Markle Sparkle. <laughs> that was awesome. So for those who don't know what we're talking about, can you walk us through what happened? Yeah. I mean, um, January 10th, I, I know the, I know the date very well because it was my birthday, so to speak. Oh, wow. January 10th. Uh, I woke up in the morning to a bunch of texts from some of my friends in London saying, she's in Hatch, she's in Hatch. And I was looking around and, and there Meghan Markle was for her first appearance doing a public visit in a Hatch dress. And it was kind of the official announcement of her in society wearing a maternity piece and it was Hatch. And I got to say, out of all dreams, it's so funny because it's rather small in the spectrum of life, but what an amazing experience. And what they say is true. I mean, the traffic went off the charts. You can't pay for the press that happens when the princess wears your stuff. And it was just one of those moments where I was able to sit back and just say, wow, Hatch has made it as a brand. I mean, this is really cool because you can't gift the royalty, right? So I wasn't able to push that along at all. She and her her stylist obviously chose it and, and it was a great day. So talk to us about community and what community is for your brand. Community right now to me is number one. And um, it didn't start that way. I started off making beautiful clothes. And then I was hearing questions from women about how can I get a trusted source of everything that I need to get me through this time. And while it was always working with amazing women going through this time and, and it was connecting the dots, only when we opened our first retail store and had this roof to bring women you know, underneath and, and educate them, did it dawn on me how much the in-person community piece of Hatch was missing and how much people wanted it. We've 
opened two stores since in LA and in New York. And we do all forms of amazing community educational seminars for these women, whether it's lactation consultants, prenatal consultants, music classes for new moms, where you can meet people who have babies the same age as you. It's really just been the most remarkable halo effect to the brand. And while I'm a really good person, Hatch was always about revenue and driving sales and selling stuff. And now Hatch is about uniting people who need us in all ways. For someone who believes in building a brand from ground up, that has been the most amazing evolution. And I'm really so proud. You had bootstrapped the company for six years, as you said, before you brought on outside funding and you recently closed your Series A. It wasn't the first time you had approached a fundraise. Can you talk through what that process is like with the caveat that we would say raising money is the worst process ever? It's an absolute full-time job and I speak business, I know business, but I'm really creative at heart and that's where I want to spend my time. And the first few times I went out to raise money. I did it on my own. I was pregnant with my second daughter, Georgie. And um, I was out there meeting every single day, just with several, several people a day, taking all of your energy, pitching your concept. And I got exhausted. And I, um, I realized that I couldn't do this by myself. And I was eight months pregnant. And so I took a little break of the first round of fundraising. And then I had Georgie. And I was able just to kind of like gather myself and my thoughts. Hatch has been profitable for the first seven, eight years. So looking for money was really to fund some big ideas I had to really step on the gas and grow this thing to its potential. And that was developing beauty and opening retail stores so I can build out the community and the, and the hand-to-hand touch with the product. But it wasn't absolutely vital for me to survive. And so I was able to take that break for a second and really reassess kind of how I was going to approach this without it killing me, where I can also kind of support the team that I was growing and be a good leader and be a good visionaire because fundraising just takes you off of all of those things. And I was just exhausted. And as I was taking my space and kind of regaining um, that sanity, uh, it was very clear to me that I needed help. And I needed help on the inside of someone to really run operations and do the things that aren't my favorite spots and that I'm not necessarily the best at. It was then that I connected with someone who is now my COO, who she is fantastic and speaks spreadsheets and fundraises and cap tables and knows everything that I don't really want to focus on. And so with her and getting to know each other 10 months later, we decided to go back out to the market. And it was me being able to fill those voids of where I didn't feel competent and having that confidence to go back out there where we had proof of concept. Again, I bootstrapped this. I didn't take a salary for the first five years. Blood, sweat, and tears, everything I could possibly show that I was in this to win it. Um, Married with someone who could sharpen the pencil and get into that room and talk the talk. Together, we did it and found amazing investors. What are you like as a manager? I lead from the heart. I um, really take pride in that. And I have some room to grow in in not letting the days that are tougher get the best of me. And in order to motivate and inspire my team, sometimes they see how I'm feeling before I even like sit down at my desk. And I'm really working on kind of tightening. It's nobody else's fault what happens to me, right? So trying to figure out how to kind of balance that. And I've been going through coaching for the last two years, which has been a game changer for me and trying to separate the emotion and the literal from really building an organization of amazing people that care so much about what we're doing and inspiring them to do their best work and be the best that they can be so that they can stay with me or move on to something that that makes them happy. 
When you think about how to protect against what you're talking about and being remote right now, what are you like as a manager remotely? And and what is your advice for those who need to kind of show a, a stronger face for their teams right now? Yeah, it's not easy, but I will say connectivity. You know, we didn't have morning meetings every day in person. I think everybody's yearning for for connectivity. I happen to be fortunate enough to be in a house where I can look out at nature. Um, Some of my employees don't have that luxury. Leading with empathy and allowing us to all be human first. This whole thing puts so much in perspective, right? So um, the email that you know, that didn't necessarily tell the story properly. Like how important is that right now in the realm of things? And so I've been able to reprioritize and shift what's important. And I really think in my, in my leadership right now, just chilling out a little bit and backing off and letting people find their groove and taking a little pressure off the top has really been helpful for everyone. And again, we're going to get through this. We're going to be on the other side of this, but making sure that people are okay on a daily basis is our number one priority. I hope every morning, and I'm pretty confident every morning in our meetings that they're feeling that. I think it's going a really long way. Okay. Let's go to our last round, our favorite round, the lightning round. So we'll ask you short questions. You answer as fast as you can. What's replaced your morning commute? The class by Taryn Toomey. I've been dying to try it. Everyone is saying that. I haven't done it virtually. I won't go in person. Online, it's amazing. Because it's emotional and the music, it lets a lot of stuff go out and happen. It's pretty great. Can you skim your nighttime routine for us? Dinner. My husband's becoming an excellent cook, which is fantastic for me. (laughs) With the family, uh, a lot of puzzle time. We've gone through maybe five puzzles so far. Oh, do you want to be in a puzzle exchange with me? Oh my God, I would love that. Um, a bottle of wine and then finished off when the kids are down with a tequila on the couch in front of the fire with my husband. Yes. What is, for those who are searching for things to try to entertain young kids, anything that you found to be helpful in quarantine? I just got a gardening set off Amazon where we can grow herbs and watch them grow every day, which is like super helpful to see progress happening. And I think I need that for myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty awesome. Taste Buds Kitchen is amazing where you can kind of set up shop and live stream while you're making stuff. And outside of that, yeah, I'm trying to get them off the computer as much as possible now that education is on the computer. We're actually working out together. Um, Hatch does daily workouts where we tune, like the whole team like tunes in and my kids are part of that. So trying to think outside the box and as the weather gets nicer, hopefully getting them out of here. Are you getting dressed like you would for work or are you pajamas? I am getting dressed in the morning. I wouldn't say like for work, but I will say I am making myself feel good in the morning and it really helps with productivity. And when my team sees me in the morning on Zoom, I want to show them that I'm ready to go. And uh, at least from the waist up, we're looking good. (laughs) That might be some inspiration for me, but, but maybe, maybe not. Maybe after another month. What is the last show you streamed or binged? Unorthodox. Me too. So good. So good. Okay. Shameless plug. Uh, We're coming out with a content platform called Babe. Babe by Hatch. It's the strategist meets baby center. And it's everything we need to know. And why, why do our kids pee on our new Celine bags? Can I eat my placenta while I'm driving? It's all the things that just keep us up at night and the hypocrisy of motherhood. Wait, has one of your children actually peed on a Celine bag? I mean, how about a paintbrush across it of like non-removable paint? <laughs> well, now it's a one-time limited edition bag. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, this has been lovely. <laughs> thank you. I think that's a great way to end. Yes. Thank you so much. And congratulations on everything. 
Thanks for having me. Stay safe. Hi, everyone. We're trying something new. During this time of economic uncertainty, we want to take a moment to spotlight some new female-founded companies. We've heard from many incredible skimmers who are leading small businesses, and we will be introducing them to you each week on Skim from the Couch. See the link in our episode description for how to submit yourself or a friend. My name is Mara McGrew, and I'm the founder and CEO of Supply. Supply is more than soap. Simply put, Supply is the best soap for you, the health of your skin, and our planet. Plus, every ounce of Supply soap sold funds life-saving water, sanitation, and hygiene initiatives around the world. Everyone needs soap, and today that's even more true than ever before. Our small all-female team is working day and night to make sure that we're getting soap in all the hands that need it right now. And that means that on top of our normal donation of $1 for every eight ounces of soap sold, we are also choosing to donate our product to match the need for soap right here in New York City where we're based. I'm literally packing five gallons of soap at a time and putting it in suitcases and rolling it through the streets of New York City to make sure that homeless shelters and other organizations that need it have it. We are also seeing our community asking questions around hand washing and soap. And we've prioritized ensuring that we're getting people the information that they really need. And on top of that, we're making sure that our community has the soap that they need so that they can stay clean and healthy. And honestly, that has us working into the wee hours of the night pretty often these days. Like so many small businesses, we're working hard to solve the challenges that are being thrown at us every single day. But we're also celebrating wins, things like the fact that last month we were able to donate more than we have ever been able to donate in a single month, being able to provide something that people really need, and being able to give back is something that has kept us extremely motivated as a team. Get 20% off of supply when you use the code THESKIM at checkout. Just go to supplybox.com. That's S-O-A-P-P-L-Y-B-O-X, supplybox.com. Get a starter set, subscription, or a bundle, depending on your soap needs. Supply is more than soap, and your purchase means more than you know. So in advance, thank you for being a part of our story and for making a difference by washing your hands. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra.